Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And as always, we are here to present you with seeds of wisdom and liberation, empowering you to knowing uh, doing and impacting the world around you, being and changing the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Uh, you can follow us on all our social media, on Facebook, uh, my personal page, Lorenzo Neal, um, um, the, the, the show page, Zero Network, on Facebook. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, as a Twitter handle. handle. Twitter handle is at Zero Radio. And you can hit me up on my email, Pastor Lorenzo Neal at gmail dot com. We um, uh, we have not been a been doing the show for a while. We've got a lot going on. If you're not aware, we have been working on our doctorate, and um, and we got down to the nitty gritty of this dissertation. And in a few weeks, I'll be I am preparing to defend to give my oral defense of my. Uh, doctoral dis- research and dissertation. Yay! I'm excited about that. And so that's why we've kind of been cramming in and putting in overtime to get this done. And uh, we haven't really been doing the show and had some issues trying to, uh, you know, do rebroadcast. For some reason, I, I wasn't able to do that. So, but hopefully we'll be back. And I keep saying this. <laughs> I've been saying this for a while. <laughs> Upgrade and do more. But uh, we will be doing more. You'll be hearing a lot from us uh, as we go through this change and try to up our game. <laughs> so uh, we're glad that we're able to do what we do. Um, go to the Lord in prayer real quick before we get into our show. And I got a lot I want to talk about. Um, particularly, I, I talked to, uh, I titled this show Leandria Johnson and the Scars of Church Life. And I want to talk about. Of course, as everyone has been talking about, that that 
particular uh, incident that happened with her. But there's some other things I want to talk about, too. But before I get ahead of myself, let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, we bless you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for another opportunity to be a part of the uh, broadcast and share in the ministry of many others who are spreading your gospel, sharing and communicating words of empowerment and liberation across this country and around this world. Bless our efforts and let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. I, I do really want to talk about Leandria Johnson. Uh, as a lot, and I, I, I mean, I probably, like many of you, have been following if you're if you're aware i i really wasn't aware of leandria johnson only time i know about i uh i even did anything about her is because one i um you know her social media incidents where uh you know she was intoxicated on live i think it was periscope or something and then there's another uh she was preaching and uh the video of her preaching and using um a uh, very <laughs> explicit language in her sermon went viral. So that's that's about all I know. I've I've seen her sing, um, and, but you know I'm this is what it is. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, but I want to really I do really want to talk about that because it's, she 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 said a lot <laughs> and uh, she's opened up a. a uh, discussion about some issues in the church that I like to talk about uh, later on. But I, I, before I get into this, just one a couple other things I want to talk about. So I just saw an article, uh, two articles that I wanted to share with you all um, today. The first one is that um, as of 2018, Africa has the largest population of Christians. I thought that was wonderful, um, considering over the last couple of centuries, um, pre, pre-colonization, Africa was largely, um, mostly, uh, there were pockets of Christianity in northeastern Africa. Um, you know, of course, in Egypt, you have the Coptic church, the Coptic uh, church there, and in Ethiopia, you have the Coptic uh, church there, and there were pockets of it uh, pre-colonial uh, times in Africa. But for the most part, um, most of African, particularly sub-Saharan Africa, were um, they had their native religions. Uh, each each tribe or um, ethnic group within a region had their particular spiritual beliefs, ancestors, uh, traditional worship, na- nature worship, and whatever whatever they may have practiced. And post-colonial Africa, we saw as the colonizers sent in their missionaries and did what they did. We saw the rise of uh, churches like the Episcopal Church, United Methodist Church, and various other branches of Christian Western Christianity come in. And while in certain parts like Nigeria and um, other places, Kenya, Islam was the dominant force for centuries. Um, as as that they decolonized. You saw a resurrection of Christianity, but 
it was not the European Christianity that was established during the times of colonization. What you saw was a development of their – it was an integrated type of Christianity, largely uh, infused with Western uh, ideologies, but they still practice along the kind of went back to some of the practice. And I'm being general. This is not this is not factual. This is not um you know, this is just being a generalization of uh of what has developed post colonialism. But the fastest growing branch of um Western Christianity is Pentecostalism. Uh the Pentecostal church began planting churches or going over there largely in the I'd say the the 80s where they were regrowing. There were a lot of apostolic Pentecostal churches um, there, but they were minuscule. They they weren't really relevant. But uh, the latter part of the 80s and 90s and particularly now with the rise of Social media and things of that nature in the in the 21st century, you've seen a tremendous growth of that branch of Christianity, Pentecostalism. So much so that uh, that the the larger churches are no longer uh, affiliated with denominations. They are independent churches. Um, and I think about the largest church in the world. I think. Outside of Seoul, Korea, um, Paul Youngi Cho's church is um, a church in Nigeria. David, um, I can't pronounce his name, but um, it's a Nigerian church claiming close to a million members. And then you have another TB Joshua. There's several Chris, uh, Pastor Chris, uh, somewhere in Nigeria. Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria happens to be a base of a lot of these these um, um, churches. But you also – that came with that, and this is the downside of the tre- tremendous growth of Christianity on the African continent in sub-Saharan African and Western Africa. What you're also seeing is the rise of scammers. People are using this to um, – they're using this to take advantage of people. And I was just reading on um, the old black church, and I wanted to give a shout out to Ann Brock, who facilitates that website. And um, she writes a story, uh, she reports a story on uh, this guy who, um, what is it? Uh, Meet the man making money off Christianity in Africa, and the guy's name is Obanim. I I guess I'm saying that right, but his followers and members refer to him as Angel Obanim, Obanim. and uh, he says that (laughs) – y'all got to excuse me. He says that he has the ability to transform himself into different things, animals, trees. He can visit – he can implant himself <laughs> into people's dreams. <laughs> uh, what's that movie name? Uh, oh man, I can't even think of the name of that movie that Leonardo DiCaprio was in. And you can insert yourself into different dreams. 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, Inception. I think that's the name. I could be mistaken. But anyway, he says that um, he was made an angel by Jesus, his father, and told his members that he went to heaven and had a conversation with God that drew the jealousy of Satan. And you would not believe how many people adamantly defend defend him and follow him. There's another uh, prophet out of Africa with a large following, and he has uh, videos on YouTube. I can't think of his uh, name right off, but he's supposed to be such a uh, accurate prophet. In one video, YouTube, on YouTube video, he um, supposedly uh, called out a man who was faking as a minister. And not only did he call out the man, but he gave the man's name, gave the man's address, where he lived, described his house, and all of that. And so there, <laughs> while he's doing this, this is a broadcast, right? And there's a uh, commentator, and the commentator is a female voice. And she's so... You know, she's like amazed. Oh my God, the prophet just said this. The prophet just said that. Look at the prophet. And the people in the audience are going wild because this guy, this prophet, is telling this man's information. And I'm like, there is no way on God's green earth that this man knows that much information about a person uh, that he supposedly just pointed out, just he didn't even know, just happened to. Just happened to come across. There is God is not that specific. Not at least not. For, he's not been for me. I have never met in all my years of ministry and operating in the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and um, prophetic unctions and things of that nature. Never in my ministry have I ever encountered a person where I've told them their name, told them where they lived. Now I'll be honest with you. I've had some strange, <laughs> some strange. Um, Things where I was able to tell people's carpet, you know, and I didn't understand it. And, you know, I was able to see some visions that I I could not have known, you know, visions of things and individuals about what happened to them that I could not have known. And this that was revelatory. And I did not use those things to exploit people. You know, I was amazed at myself. You know, sometimes the words coming out of my mouth, I'm like, this doesn't even make sense and to have the person confirm it now the other thing was i wasn't sure if they were confirming it just because they didn't want to make me look bad (laughs) and they were just going along with it or if it was truly accurate i cannot say but in the moment uh it was confirmed and in that moment you know i felt uh you know yeah i felt a little spiritual but clearly see this was staged at least i assumed it was staged because of the Information that was given that was just anyway, I digress. Uh, but the Pentecostal branch of American Christianity, in particular, I, I, I make I make a specific about American Christianity, has um, ha, has has infiltrated Africa, and it is this infiltration that is. You know, making new prophets wealthy. And, you know, people are lining up to imitate. Why not? If 
TV Joshua is making millions of dollars and is a millionaire by being a prophet or a preacher. Why can't I do it? And it scares me that the revolution that's happening in South America, Latin America, uh, Central America, is, you know, that's what we exported from the United States. We exported that particular form of Christianity, and it is, it is exploitative, unfortunately. We see it how it's exploiting, has been exploitative here in the United States under the guise of the prosperity gospel. And now that we have exported it to those areas, South America, uh, Central America, and now Africa, those people are hung- they're hungry for something. And unfortunately, their hunger is uh, causing uh, people to take advantage of them. So um, I'm, I'm while well, I'm excited about the work that's happening in Africa, and I have I know many missionaries down there, and I know a lot of people who are doing great work there in on the African continent. I I I, I grieve for. Uh, those people who are manipulating them. Then the other story I also saw on uh, Ann Brock's, uh, the old church. Uh, <laughs> you know, in light of the recent, and I, I don't want to use the word immigration crisis or refugee crisis here in the United States, but um, the crisis at the border with the separation of the children from their families. Now, let me be clear. I understand we are a nation of laws. I understand we have uh, a means in place for persons to enter our country legally. We have a process for persons who are uh, leaving countries of war, countries that are terrorized by violence. There's a process for them to come as uh, to seek asylum in this country. And, 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 but for many, they just want to get away. And they come through this country. They come through Mexico. Mexico doesn't want them. They come to the United States. Many of them don't don't seek to go through the proper channels of uh, seeking asylum, largely because they have fear that they'll be sent right back to those countries. And you know, so they don't even bother going through the process. But but they come here. They get detained at the border. And the children are separated, and we have the crisis. And uh, I, 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 I agree for those parents. I agree for those children. I hate that we have politicized it, and I hate that um, parties are taking this as a as a means of rallying voters for November. It should not be done. And this is about This is a human crisis. It's humanity we should be concerned about, and children in particular. We should. Scripture encourages us. The Old Testament encourages us to be concerned about the widows and orphans, and even in the writings of the New Testament, uh, to be concerned about the the children and the orphans, <laughs> and uh, well, in this case, separated children. We should be concerned about that. Um, in in that sense, I I hate when um, preachers like uh, Jeffers, who was pastor of First Baptist in in um. Dallas and uh, in this this particular article, Paula White, who <laughs> has the nerve to say that there, Jesus 
there's difference between Jesus as a refugee, refugee, and those who enter the United States illegally. And according to the article in the Christian Post, this is what she said: Jesus did live in Egypt for three and a half years, but it was not illegal. If he had broken the law, then he would have been sinful, and he would have not been a Messiah. And I just, you know, how you just rub your forehead and be like, Lord, have mercy. The ignorance and the ignorance of this statement in and of itself should negate her from being in any type of <laughs> any type of leadership, especially over the black church. You know, you know, and I hate that this ignorance is being for <laughs> there was no such thing as Ill- illegal illegal immigration during the time of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh Joseph and Mary sought asylum in Egypt. We don't know what they did with while we were there, while they were there. We don't know under whose covering they were there. Under we, you know, we don't know anything about that. So we can't say whether it was illegal or not. And Jesus did not lead Mary and Joseph into Joseph was the one who was directed to do so at least according to the reading of a narrative in, in the scripture so Jesus had nothing to do with Jesus was just an infant or a toddler at best <laughs> so he wouldn't <laughs> breaking the law my goodness he would not have I, he did not he would not have broken the law and there was no such thing as but but this is the kind of thing that here she is the pastor of a predominantly black church and attempting to differentiate Jesus as uh, a person of color. The, the the thing that she should have been doing was identifying him with those people of color trying to come into the border. Uh, trying to cross the border or who had crossed the border and who were detained and whose children were separated. That's what she should have done. And, you know, I'm a conservative. I identify as a conservative. I I identified in my vote, my voting block has gone uh, center right. That's where I stand, center right. You know, some might say I'm not not that because on some social issues and some political issues I, I'm very vocal about, yet I still understand <laughs> the principles of certain parties and the principles upon which I we have been taught that our country was founded. But the refrain in those words that she said does not indicate – it's not indicative, indicative of any of that. Neither is it indicative of what Christ ourselves what Christ says about receiving those who are not of his own. There are many of his own that he didn't even talk about. <laughs> uh, there were many who he said would be a part that he did not discuss. There were many disenfranchised persons that he embraced. Uh, and I even consider you know, Roman centurion who came to him for assistance as a disenfranchised person. That person was just as oppressed as Jesus. He just was a little more affluent. 
but he was still on the oppressive government. <laughs> it was just a little more affluent in that oppressive government. But I I wish our white evangelical brothers and sisters could lay aside the fact that this is a political issue and see it as a human issue. And while many did raise their voice in opposition against President Trump and his uh, and um, AG Sessions, in, in particular this policy, I wish they would be consistent and, and still and use this not just as an opportunity for this one little thing, but to stand against the wickedness and the wretchedness that is across that's plaguing this country, not just politically, but across the uh, the sphere of the social, economic, economical, political dynamic of this country. That's what I get for trying to use big words. <laughs> I wish that they had the auction just as they stood up in opposition to this particular policy, that they would do so across the board. And I wish they would just stop playing politics. The church is not about politics. It is a political organization. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit when I talk about Leandria. Yeah, I, I wish we didn't have to have that, but it is a political organization, and, and we'll show biblically how it's been political. It has been political, and it will continue to be so. But anyway, um, I'll pray for Paula Johnson, Paula White. <laughs> Paula Johnson. Play, pray for Paula Johnson. Paula White. Why do I keep on thinking Johnson? I don't know. Pray for Paula White. Pray for all these folk who use their voice this one for this one issue, and then have settled back into uh, the way things have been. Yeah. Anyway, well, I ran my voice enough. I'm gonna take a quick break, and when I come back, we're gonna get into the topic of the day: Leandria Johnson and the hurt and the scars of church life. So. Be right back after this.
At Farmers, we've seen almost everything, so we know how to cover almost anything, even mermuts. We covered it, February 3rd, 2016. Talk to farmers. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Hey, who's using that? Think we own stock in the electric company? I will turn this car around right now. There's nobody back there. I was becoming my father. <clears throat> it's been an adjustment, but... We're making it work. You know, Progressive.com makes it easy for us to get the right home insurance. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. Pastor Lorenzo Neal, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. If you're listening to this uh, broadcast at a later time, you're welcome to join us all, all the time. We try to do it every Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock. And um, you can catch broadcasts archived all the way back to 2010. We go all the way back. We've been doing this thing for eight years. Wow. <laughs> eight, eight years. Uh, so, uh, uh, according to those folk who believe in biblical numerology, eight is the number of new beginnings. So, maybe it's time for me to do a new beginning with this show. <laughs> anyway, we thank you for tuning in. Um, again, you can uh, catch us on our social media, Facebook, Zero Network there. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Zero Radio. And, of course, myself, Lorenzo T. Neal, on Twitter. Uh, and... Hit us up on everywhere else that we may be on social media. So we're back, and we want to talk about the topic that we are uh, – well, we want to talk about that we said we are going to talk about. That is Leandria Johnson and the Scars of Church Life. And – hold on. I'm typing something real quick. I, I was trying to do live – and uh, I've been live when I say live. Ain't that something? Um, so trying to do live, and I'm going to try to do it again um, here in a, in a moment. If I can figure it out, I will go live. Um, but anyway, while, while I'm working on that. Leandria Johnson, gospel singer and um, a recording artist. Yeah, I think I got this going. Um, so Leandria Johnson. Okay, I got the video up. 
And so if you're on Facebook, you can go ahead and join me um, on the air while we do this show. And I'm looking at myself, man, I need a haircut bad. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, I'm going to get a haircut. I got to give a shout out to my barber and get one. But anyway, Leandria Johnson, the gospel recording artist, um, she did two or several Facebook or live posts. I don't know if it was Facebook Live. I, you know, all I've seen was stuff that's been placed out on social media regarding her. But um, so she's been she she went on this rant and about uh, the church and her experience with the church and all of these things. And she talked rather explicitly about um, her encounters with, I believe it was. Bishop Marvin Winans and other well artists. I'm not sure if the others, but you know the gospel music industry, the church. And she talked about how um, because of her one of her videos that she was removed from her 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 uh, scheduled appearance at the Essence Festival this past weekend uh, because of what she said or how she said it or whatever it may have been. Um, so I did I did see. Um, the one that she did Friday evening in which she dropped a <laughs> F-bomb quite a bit and she talked about, you know, Christianity and she how she was tired of it and things of that nature. And it sparked a lot of, a series of debates and YouTube videos and responses and while I am not using this as a response to that, I I, think, <laughs> I don't think any commentary I say will be <laughs> worth much of anything. <laughs> But, but what I uh, what what concerned me is not so much what she said or how she said it is just that the reality of it. Um, unfortunately, there are many people who are experiencing it, not just her. And I think it's heightened because of her status as a gospel recording gospel artist, her status as um, a winner of a gospel themed um, talent show. And the status, you know, that comes along with being a gospel music celebrity and all of that. And the frustration of maybe what she was experiencing personally, I, I don't know. I don't know the woman personally. I don't know much about her, as I stated before, outside of what I have seen in social media, you know, from what she's posted with her videos of her being you know, a bit a bit tipsy or a lot tipsy. <laughs> uh, in the video where she is in the sermon used explicit language, um, so I I that's just that's about all that I know about her. Um, and I understand that she has a lot of followers. I understand that. Well, you know, she started the church and all of that. And I saw, I watched, Lord, I watched. Uh, the Preachers of Atlanta, she was a part of that cast, and uh, she received criticism for, I think, an episode. She dressed up, what they say, she dressed up like a prostitute and walked the streets of Atlanta. I don't know what neighborhood or wherever, but she walked the streets of Atlanta handing out condoms. Uh, fine with her. That, hey, she did what she did. I don't I don't know and don't care. <laughs> I, I, but what she was what she was addressing people have called church hurt and i asked the question you know what is church hurt does it exist 
and uh, what are what, what are the signs of an individual who has experienced church hurt? And this this first, let me let me make sure people understand this. I am a pastor, and as a pastor, I I I can understand interaction with members and. I know as a pastor, there have been plenty of times that I've uh, not been able to fully engage or fully meet the needs of all the individuals or all the families in my church. There have been times that I've neglected, unintentionally (laughs) neglected some people. Uh, There have been times I've been unaware of things, and it came back and like people like, well, you don't care about such a person. I'm like, I had no idea what was going on. I, I I had no idea what was going on, and so you know I can't be held responsible for something that I was not aware of. But I I did, and so anyway, long story short, I I know what it's like to experience that type of frustration. You know, I also know what it's like to be a member of a church, a young minister, because I started ministry so young. I was able to see quite a bit as through both the eyes of a child and through the eyes of a young adult and the eyes of an adult. And I tell you, it's only by God's grace I have not left the organized church, <laughs> especially being in African Methodist Episcopal Church. You know, that that's a that's a whole other beast of another color. Um, so I can understand from both perspectives. Um and but what she addressed, what what people are calling church hurt, uh, people forget that the church is an organization, a human organization. It's an organization with humans, and we understand. If you understand dynamics of human interaction, dynamics of human growth and development, if you understand all of that kind of stuff, you can understand. You would understand that uh, there will always be tension. There will always be. Um, all kinds of things, you know, within the dynamics of any organization. Now, the church is not uh, any different. The other thing about the church is that it's a political organization. And I know people don't like to uh, put this part on it, but the church is just as politically political internal as it is external. And, you know, you know, and, you know, most have viewed the church historically, particularly the black church, and I'm, I'm just speaking within the framework and context of the black church experience. Now, there may be people who say there's no such thing as black church, white church, and the experience is, uh, you know, you're just the church, but I beg to differ on that. There's a very big difference, a very big um, uh, framework of dynamics within those two communities. Uh, in the black church, and more recently within the black Pentecostal church, which is her background from what I understand, um, you know, the dynamics are even more um, differentiated and heightened because this, there's this, you know, you have to be, uh, you have to have a dual role, you, a dual self. You know, you got to be the holy self and try to find the way not to let the world creep into your holy life. So you won't sin against God. <laughs> you won't backslide and all that. Thanks, everyone, for joining. I appreciate it. I see all of you. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. And, um, um, yeah, she did apologize. I'm sorry. I'm slow to this thing. Um, she did apologize, and I saw that video. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, apology, not 
It's still out there now. <laughs> but here's the thing. When people understand the dynamics of the church as an organization, and you just study uh, organizational theory, whatever, you know, go just Google it and read up on it and understand the dynamics of uh, organization. Uh, and and you, you'll find what makes the black church unique and I, I wrote about this a little bit in, in my dissertation uh, when I talk about um, differentiation of self. Um, the black church in particular functions as a family unit. And I know many other churches do that too, but, uh, but you know, within that family of origin, uh, many of our churches are basically just components of uh, families, larger family units, uh, things of that nature. And when you when you look at um, concepts that I talk I talk about, and it comes from a Bowen's family systems theory of of family dynamics, and you have uh, the differentiation of self. You have intergenerational uh, participation, societal uh, participation, and things of that nature. But there, there's there's a uh, two things called emotional reactivity and uh, fusion with others within this dynamic, um, which uh, basically um, the more differentiated we are, better differentiated, higher differentiated we are, the better we understand ourselves, the better we are uh, emotionally hell, uh, well, well, and our emotional intelligence plays a role in that, how aware we are of ourselves and things of that nature within our interpersonal and uh, relationships and how we relate to others. The more we are self-aware, the, the, the more we're able to have positive interactions with others that uh, cause us not to react uh, negatively to emotions that may, you know, when we, you know, when we have interaction with others that are not a, uh, that, you know, click, they don't click as well. Um, but the Marty, <laughs> sophisticated lady Marty says she cut up bad. Uh, that Patron does that. <laughs> I don't know about Patron. Yeah, I, I bet you if I had a sip of Patron, that probably knock me out. <laughs> I'll stick to my wine. Um, but the thing about it is, what the church, the black church in particular, does not allow for is this. This idea of self-differentiation. You have to identify with the group. And unfortunately, whether that group is Pentecostal, Methodist, Baptist, Independent, whatever, is a is a group think. And so once you step outside of that group think, you one, you're gonna automatically experience that trauma of uh, not being able to fully identify with the group that you once identified with. So that's part of it. Well, that could be part of it. Second thing is that once you experience that drama, now you have to find a way to re-articulate what you are experiencing so that you can at least connect in some type of way, find some type of connection with the group that you still want to identify with or no longer want to identify with. And I think what Leandria made clear, she no longer wants to identify with the the um, the church side of herself. And it may sound a 
from a, from a therapeutic perspective, I understand what she said. She this is what she wants to differentiate when she said, "I'm tired of being Leandria Johnson." Those words mean that the persona that I had I helped create, and I had to create to because you know I wanted to achieve this goal, which was winning Sunday, Sunday's best. Well, I had to create this persona, and I have to maintain this persona. But this persona is not who I really am or what I really desire to be. But at the time, it may have been uh, an ends, a means to an end. And now, in an attempt to disconnect from that persona or from that, uh, that group think or whatever you want to call it, how you choose to identify it, to, to, do that, to, to do that is traumatic. So she's experiencing the trauma of that. And while she's experiencing the trauma of that, she's also trying to reconcile what she's experiencing within the collective identity of what she wants. So she still wants to be a part, and I hear this quite a bit from persons who um, who have left the church, the organized church. They they don't want to identify with church folk, but they want to identify as a spiritual person. So you know they do. Um, and those who have left, uh, who have become uh, non-believers or agnostics, um, they have replaced that. They have they have found a way to replace that. You know, so the trauma that they experienced from um, removing themselves from the group, they have found a way to reconcile that same group. That that they have found a way to reconcile that by becoming not just atheists, but finding organizations to support them and affirm them and uh and uh keep them hold on uh okay yeah oh, i i keep hearing um whatever i'm hearing i i can't this is weird but anyway so what 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 was happening and this is not just with Leandria Johnson, but this is happening with lay persons. This is happening with clergy. Is they're trying to find themselves in within the the construct of church identity, because you got to understand, black community church is not just something you attend; it's something you are. That's why in the black you hear one colloquial thing in the black church. You say we had church. Because church was not something that you just go to, you know, you had church when you ran, you shouted, you danced, the preacher preached, the choir sang, that was church. If you go somewhere and it was quiet, but hymns were going on, and the preacher did more of a lecture than a sermon to you, you know, know, that wasn't church. That was boring. (laughs) So, and I I talked about this in this, you're going to see this, I have a book that's coming out, um, that's titled Our Connected Existence, and uh, uh, it's based on the, uh, the talk that I did at the Black Nonbelievers uh, Anniversary Celebration. And in that presentation, I talked about the paradigm shift that we must do as believers. And one of the things we must – we have to do, we have to wrestle with the new constructs and new paradigms that are uh, uh, affecting our culture and our church community. It's not the same. You know, culturally, we're not the same. There used to be a sense of a monolithic black culture, even though it was not really true, but there was a sense of it. Uh, Now that is not the case. 
there is no sense of a monolithic black culture uh, a monolithic black identity <laughs> and I think about those persons who try to identify as black what they're identifying with is that sense of what they believe black to be same thing with the black church experience that's why Paula White can come into a church black church and preaching all these other persons of color non-persons of color can come to black churches and holler and scream and don't say nothing and get all these money you know get all that money from these churches because what they're identifying is not with the culture but the the sense of what they believe the black church is in 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 the environment and the tone and all that so they can go and and go in there and synthesize that into their their ideology, their preaching, and you know whatever it may be, and profit from it. So we have to wrestle with that, and in wrestling with that, we have to. There's an honesty about the authenticity of our religious, religious experience and our church experience. And I, this is one thing about myself. I have never. I don't have the testimonies of a lot of preachers. I wasn't in addictions of any kind. I didn't have any type of traumatic experience that called, you know, I didn't have a visit from Jesus or anything like that. When I accepted my call to preach as a boy at 12, there was nothing. It was just a sense that, you know, I knew something I knew. And I talked to, at the time, the president of the Louisiana Baptist Convention. I talked to him, and he was president of the National Convention, too. Dr. Jemison, I talked to him, um, and Dr. Sam Washington, I talked with him, and they referred me back to my pastor. Mind you, I was 12 years old, and I talked with my pastor, and, you know, and we both had, you know, asked the questions. I asked questions, he asked me questions, and, you know, there was some other elders of the church who I asked, and I was blessed to have a lot of, uh, a lot of wonderful um, uh, men and women of God who were able to help me understand my call as I went through it, you know, middle school, high school, and college, and I was I was really blessed to have those. So I didn't really struggle. I didn't have any traumatic experience to let me cry, you know. And, and I was always usually the good kid. <laughs> that may be somebody who will argue differently, but you know, I wasn't a trouble kid. Did pretty good stuff, you know, all all American boy, I guess you can say, in so many words. But I do understand how as you mature and as you grow, both in your faith and in life, you experience things that will cause you to question your call, cause you to question your life. And sometimes we're never able to reconcile that through the church because the church is, in many cases, when you talk about leadership of the church, are ill-equipped to address those issues or simply choose not to address those issues because it will force them to do the same. And we've played and we've wrestled with this for so long that um it has it, it has caused things like what's happening with Leandria Johnson and many others who uh, I'm sure identify with what she said and what she's experiencing what they're calling church hurt. <laughs> and speaking of church hurt, <laughs> the internet is just, the internet is crazy. I, I, I've i seen memes talking about church hate, church hurt, and there was a picture of uh, a church plate with one drumstick and, and some beans. 
baked beans and talking about church hurt, they don't feel the plate up. Amen, lights. <laughs> that is church hurt. I don't want to go to a funeral repast or go to a church program and you going to give me one chicken wing <laughs> after I just sat through a whole program. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just being messy. They don't do that in New Bethel. They feed the pastor well. Amen. But but the sense of hurt as is as it is being articulated within this particular construct is nothing more than interpersonal and interrelational uh interpersonal relationships that are are you know have not been made within the church construct to be able to be transparent and authentic within the black church construct we've made interpersonal relationships within the framework of of the church as something to display on Sunday so on Sunday morning and on Wednesday nights whenever that's the time that you put your front on that's when you show up at your best you look your best you behave your best and for those few those few hours, you are saved, sanctified, and spirit filled. But Monday through Saturday, whatever you do in your private life, <laughs> you just hope that it never spills over into your spiritual life, so that people won't use that as ammunition against you and your character. And unfortunately. You know, there are some persons, and I, I think Leandria is one of those persons who provided enough ammunition to those those stern church folk to antagonize her faith, to antagonize her spirituality, to antagonize to the point that she would use such language and call the church what it, what she called it, say about the church and individuals within what she said about them. And as a pastor, I feel it's my obligation to be as authentic and as transparent as possible. I ain't got to tell you all my business, but you should be able to know that as a human with a spiritual side, that I wrestle with the same thing that you wrestle with, maybe not to the extent that you do, but that I do so and the means of grace afforded to me by my faith in Christ are the same means of grace available to you and accessible to you to either live with or overcome because there's I'm I'm learning there's some things uh that uh, Paul said when he went to the Lord he went to him three times and the Lord simply said to him you know my grace is sufficient and the scripture does not say that Paul ever got delivered from that thing the scripture never says that Paul ever overcame that thing. So we can infer that either he lived with it and found grace in living with it. And God's grace is sufficient where he was weak. God's grace was strong or, or, or that eventually he overcame it. We don't know. But what we have from that scripture, from the writings of Paul in that particular moment is something to say to us that there is a means of grace afforded us to deal with the minister of Satan that buffets us. We all got church scars. I got church scars. 
You know, I, I know what it's like to be burned, both as a pastor and as a minister and as a member. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have to deal with the politics of the church, especially if you are if you have ambition. You have to wrestle with that thing. How ambitious do I want to be? How ambitious am I? And what to what extent will I go to accomplish what I want or to be what I want to be in the church? And that's a difficult thing. You know, people we don't want to talk about it, but that's just the reality of it. Um Especially in my reformation, you know, it's my church is a political church. They you, we don't hide it. We elect our bishops, <laughs> and <laughs> I was reading things from back in the day, and it was not nice. General conference in the AME Church was not nice, but oh, Lord always made a way. <laughs> Reconciliation sometimes happened, sometimes it didn't. There were bishops and pastors and presiding elders who never got along. But on the floor of the annual conference or the floor of the district conference or the floor of the general conference, you would swear they were brothers and sisters beloved. So, Rosalind, do you think mental illness plays a role here? Of course. Um, From a therapist's perspective, I believe there's some mental illness. Um, what that is has, you know, she, I believe she needs to go see seek professional help, and uh, I don't think she should go to a Christian counselor. <laughs> uh, I, I here's the thing, and, and and as as a person who is trained in this area, and as a person, and as a pastor, I have learned to be able to say, look, there is nothing wrong with seeking help when people come to my come to me from for therapy when people come to me for therapy and they they start they have to fill out forms they have to do all this and they're like well i just thought you were gonna listen and pray i said no my role you know i'm not i'm not a pastoral counselor for nothing you know <laughs> i i'm I, I don't like using that word but i'm trained in just about i'm trained just like every other counselor i'm in in the theories that they're trained in and the models that they were trained in. And, you know, I have my specializations. Um, and until we as the church start dealing with mental illness as a component of spiritual life, because I don't know one saint out there that ain't almost had a nervous breakdown. I hear it in testimonies all the time. You know, the Lord kept my mind. The Lord, you know, y'all hear it in testimonies all the time. The thing about it is, is, We've we've relinquished this idea of the soul to heaven, when the soul is an essential part of our existence. You cannot live without the soul. You know the spirit is what the spirit is what we are to develop in our inner man. That is to be renewed daily by by God and by interacting with Him in His in the Scriptures and meditating and things of that nature, for those who are Christians. Now, those who are not Christians, there are other ways you can do that that will connect you to your spiritual self. And but you still have to. That soul is an essential part, and we neglected the soul by saying, "Oh, your soul will be in heaven." You know, so don't worry about your soul. But the soul is the seat of the emotions, as as we. You know, some have taught in the church is 
and I'm not even going to go there. But the soul, the heart, when, when Scripture says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the issue of life, where well, you can interpret the heart there as soul. Suke um, uh, in the Greek, if you use the Septuagint, Ruah um, in the Hebrew, and both mean breath, basically, you know, the very essence of our humanity, the very essence of our existence is that soul. And if we are to guard it because out of it flows our issues, then we need, you know, we know what our issues are and we need to be equipped. And unfortunately, the church has not equipped pastors, uh, any other uh, clergy, you know, ministers, you know, those who ascribe to the fivefold, whatever, you know, all of that. The church has not adequately equipped those persons to be able to minister to that area. We want them to shout and feel good for a few hours, and they go home depressed. They leave. There have been times I have preached, and I have seen folk, you know, come to the Lord, and from that very same sermon, I'm like Joan. I go home depressed. I would go home depressed because I'm like, why? Why did I preach that? Even though somebody got saved, why did I preach that? Or why, you know, why didn't I preach it this way? Why did you know? All kinds of foolishness. Um, but the reality of the matter is that we as the church must not be afraid of scars. We have them. And we've been taught as clergy, you know, you just cover your life up real good. And to a degree that worked, that worked pre-social media days. <laughs> that worked pre-cell phone days. That worked pre uh, before you, you know, that worked back in the day when you didn't have to, you could go home and nobody would really invade your privacy. <laughs> but that is not the case now. Our lives must be transparent because we don't know who's watching us. I'll give a clear example. I was in Atlanta uh, not too long ago, and I was having dinner with my friend Mandisa Thomas, who is the president of Black Nonbelievers. We were having we were having lunch, not dinner, lunch. But anyway, while we're having lunch, somebody takes a picture of me at the restaurant and texts it to me, the back of my head, having lunch, and and I didn't recognize the number, and I they I was like hello. And I'm like, okay, if somebody recognizes me in this, and they had question marks, like, and I don't know what the question marks were. Anyway, so I'm eating, and I get this message, and I'm like, okay, I don't know who this is. So I continue eating, and I share. I say, this is this is weird. I mean, because if it was someone who knew me or thought they knew me, the least they could have done was approached me, <laughs> or I don't know. Well, I just assumed it was me because she didn't get the message. So I don't know. But we must be as transparent and as authentic as possible because we are not aware of who is watching and what people are saying. And people always talk. But in the case of Leandria, when we put ourselves out there, and especially when we've been traumatized by incidents, uh, uh, persons we've had relationships with in the church that have disintegrated or have been violated in some capacity. 
it's okay to vent and it's okay to air that frustration. How you air it, I, I hope is not like what she did. But but this is this is when in the church we 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 learn to love and to reconcile. And with that reconciliation, with that love that is shed abroad from the heart of God through Christ from us to others, with that love, we will see the type of reconciliation that is necessary, that that stimulates the growth, the spiritual maturity, and the things that we – and if we do see our brothers and sisters overcoming the fault, as Paul encourages us to do, you know, uh, we should go to them, but in this – you know – Everybody don't need to be reaching out to Leandria. And as a pastor, I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I wouldn't. I, I think she should close herself up and just kind of be alone. And, you know, if she's in tune with what she needs to be in tune with herself and if she has connections and relationships that can are healthy, that she, she lean on those relationships to help her come out of whatever it is that she's experiencing so much so that – uh, she'll be able to reconcile what she has experienced, what people are calling church hurt. She'll be able to reconcile that. Maybe she'll come out with a new identity. I think about Tone A. Um, <laughs> shortly after his father died, he created a new persona. After his father died, he was pastoring a church, went through a divorce, and shortly after he came out of that divorce, he came out the closet as being you know, a man who was same-sex attracted, and the gospel community shunned him. I mean, shunned him, but he took that and, you know, to a degree, <laughs> he, revived, he revived his career to, to a certain degree. But, you know, he's found a, a place where he's able to, I guess, be his authentic self, I, I, you know. But the church, unfortunately, historically has not provided such an atmosphere and environment for pe- people to do that. Um, and I know you know, personally and others who, you know, when you try to find that place and when you begin to, again, step out of of the collective and, you know, begin to have a self-identity, that trauma that comes with that is, is very difficult. It's very troubling and very, very hard. But, you know, Jesus did the same thing. I, I preached on that Sunday. Uh, Jesus went back home. He, he left his community. And the community that he left, he said he was a prophet without honor, except in his hometown among his own relatives. Well, you know, while we may historically have interpreted that as him showing a bit disdain or, you know, being a bit shady, you know, giving a bit shade to those people, the reality is he he left the collective. He was a carpenter. He had, you know, sustainable work, we can assume. Uh, didn't make a lot of money, but he had sustainable work. He had, by him being the oldest of his family, you know, and being functioning in that role, him leaving that community and becoming an itinerant prophet, that was a big thing. And so when he returned, for whatever reason he returned and he began to do his thing in the local synagogue, those persons were like, we're too familiar with you as a carpenter. We're too familiar with you as Mary's baby and your brother's brother and your sister's brother. That's 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 the context we understand you. We do not understand you functioning in the role 
that you're doing now. We cannot understand how you were gifted to talk the way you talk and do the miracles that you were able to do. We don't understand how because we are too familiar with you in your past. We're too familiar with you with the context that we identified you as and you should have stayed in. But by leaving the collective, you no longer identify in this way. You are identifying as a prophet. You are identifying as a rabbi. You are identifying as a healer. We cannot identify you within that context and construct because we only see you as you were. Um, and so the, the scripture records that he couldn't do what he usually do. <laughs> he could only lay hands on a few people and heal a few people. Now, we don't know how many or what the nature of that was. We don't know how – well, we do know the scripture said that he marveled, and the word marveled there in the Greek um, can be transliterated several ways, but uh, one can be astonished. One could be fascinated. He saw it not in a negative sense. He saw it, you know, their unbelief, he, he was amazed by it, not in a negative sense. He was just in amazed by it in the sense that, okay, I understand their perplexity about who I am. I am fascinated by the fact that they understand that I no longer identify just as a local person, that, you know. It is what it is. Okay, I've run out of time. I've really gone over my time. I thank you guys for uh, tuning in. I'm going to try to do this more frequently. I, I got to say, I don't know what I'm doing with this. I look funny. But um, I um, invite you to, if if you feel free, you know, you can, I have a Patreon account, so you can go to Patreon and um, uh, sign up and help me out with the show and Support me any way you can. Um, what else? Oh, that's a lot of stuff you can do. Hit me up on my social media, all over this social media. I'm on Facebook. Um, if you miss any archive, uh, any show, you want to go back and you want to see what I've been talking about for the last eight years, you can go uh, zero of the day. Um, you can see those. Um, they're available on iTunes, I believe. Some, yeah. Anyway, last eight years worth of broadcasts are available. <laughs> And um, I'm glad to be able to do this. You guys have a wonderful day. I got to get out of here. I got a lot more to do. Um, but you guys have a wonderful day. Um, make a great day or not. The choice is up to you. I got to get out of here. God bless you all. I am, um, don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to stop. Have a great day.